0: Hello from the internet, in this episode we're going to trawl through the accounts, balancing the books and getting to the bottom of the monster that is technical debt. Mark Drew and I, Rob Dudley, shall be your forensic technical accountants in this Enron-sized travesty of code. Let's get on with the show! Live from the internet, it's the Local Host Podcast, with Mark Drew and... ROB DUDLEY! Hello, Rob! We're back to howling. (laughs) We're back to howling. We're back to being somewhat removed from one another. Indeed. I have to wave uh, at Rob through the screen.
1: if you haven't caught up with this season of the local host podcast, uh, we were recently in uh, CF camp uh, in Germany, and we're now back at our respective uh, studios of ill repute in our own countries, or cities, I guess. I don't know. Back, what, what, back is Jersey the... a country?
0: Uh, I don't. Let's not go there. Um, it's it's a place, okay? It's a place <laughs> that isn't the place where you are. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we're back to abusing the internet, um, all for the joy of podcast production.
1: <laughs> and theres it's, it's pouring down with rain here, and this morning got up to listen to someone either practicing with their chainsaw or their drill, and it didn't sound like they were cutting anything, it just sounded like they'd just got the saw
0: out and switched it on because they knew we were recording a podcast. Which, I mean, you would, right? If you got a new chainsaw, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to play with this. Uh, yeah, shit, it's I, don't, I don't have morning. anything to cut. Uh, okay, I'm just going to rev it. I'm just going to walk around like a nutter. Revving <laughs> With that my flesh new chainsaw mask. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this got real dark real quick. <clears throat> okay, the so, Greenwich
1: chainsaw massacre happened next door.
0: Chainsaws aside. Yes. It, Welcome to this episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're talking about technical debt. Yeah, we are. We're talking about deficits and credits and um, accountant C++. Well,
1: the the, the analogy for this is a little bit geeky, isn't it? But I I guess we should say, what is technical debt and where the term came from? Because um, it has been used a lot. If you haven't heard what it is, what is it, Rob? What
0: is technical debt in a nutshell? In a nutshell, it is, um, in terms of development, uh, a trade-off, basically. You incur um, a cost in terms of quality, normally in exchange for speed of delivery. Right. So literally, it's like you you take a a loan um, on your project and say, well, actually, we need to get this thing shipped faster. Therefore, we're probably not going to do it as well or in quite such a a future-proof way as we would. Mm. What do you consider... Uh, this just popped into my head. Like, for example, then NHS,
1: they decided not to upgrade everything. Uh, would you consider that a debt? Because it's a kind of technical debt. They've been not borrowing, but basically they borrowed, get everything up to speed. But now because they're in debt, they can't actually keep on moving along later on. You know, so like I mean, innate, yeah. if, for people that don't know the National Health Service in the UK ha- got very cyber attacked because basically they had like Windows 95 machines or Windows was yeah 95 machines that hadn't been patched or upgraded and even Microsoft said like please upgrade the crap
0: out of these machines and they didn't. I think it's it's actually a really interesting example of um, technical debt at not just the, the project level or, or the product level but at the enterprise level. And I think it's indicative of continued failings to realise the need to manage and pay down technical debt on behalf of the NHS as a whole, which meant that they were unable to upgrade or the cost of upgrading was too high. Um, A lot of the time when we're talking about tech debt, we're actually kind of mixing in very real cost, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So whether that's time or money or time is money. Um, So both... And I think that as far as the NHS is concerned, we could look at it and make a fairly good case to say that, yeah, you can see decisions were made early on in terms of we are going to go with this vendor. um, But the forethought and the foresight wasn't put in at that time to ensure that there was an upgrade path agreed. Uh, And the next thing you know, they're running Windows 98 on critical systems and getting owned.
1: Yeah. I mean, and technical debt is something that I think developers do every day, or they get into that debt every day. I don't want to keep on doing the analogy but uh, because we should define it a little bit better. But a good example is, all right, can you make this feature? Can you write a test for it first? Oh, I'll just write the feature. It's like, well, no, can you write a test for it? I'll just write the feature. You, you are then trading that time that you'll actually need in the future because in the future, now that you've gone off and are working on another project, somebody else comes in, and we don't know the stability of your project because we don't have tests for it and that was a debt that you took out yeah. on behalf of your project. Um,
0: and it's it's one of the easiest ones to do as well, because if you're not in a test-driven uh, environment, and let's face it, most of us aren't, um, then actually tests are one of the easiest things to avoid doing, because right. everybody knows that, I mean, the numbers, I think, are something like testing uh, adds, what, between 25%, 30% to your development overhead yeah. in terms of time to actually deliver the same work. Um, it adds a whole lot more in terms of quality and sustainability. But yeah, you sacrifice that 25%, you ship it in you know, three days instead of four, but you've incurred a debt. And you have to go back to it. I mean, one of the, the problems is that
1: in more complex systems, and most systems get complex, right? I know we can get into microservices or something like that, that are like a unique trend things. But... Um, you know, if you're writing something that's a little bit you know, whatever, an e commerce platform, next thing you know that what you were just having products and a basket and a checkout process via PayPal, so simple so far, next thing you know you have discounts. Next thing you know you have um you know like promotions that you buy one, get one free or something like that, right? And and your software gets more and more complex. So -hmm. if you didn't have tests at the beginning, now you could be giving away products without knowing You know, that you're doing it, and then that will be a bug that comes through. You know, people have four items in their basket and we're giving away two of them, for example.
0: Um, And bear in mind, this isn't just about test coverage um, per se. You may well find that in that example, you started with a really simple PayPal button powered e commerce site. You extend it, you add discounts, you add um, group buys, you add rewards, you add all sorts of stuff. And even the way that you architected that original system can start to bite you. If you've got, for example, um, if, if you're running in an MVC style architecture, you've got a lot, a, lot, a lot of logic in your controllers, um, then that's going to be really hard to make reusable. So when you actually start to need to you know, interact with the, the data domain of the application, if it's not been properly architected, or if you've taken the conscious choice to architect it in a faster way to just bang the code out, it's going to be harder to extend and, and extrapolate in a, a, a sustainable and quality way. I think very quickly we should also um, kind of hat tip, name check um, to the guy who came up with this metaphor. And um, what's his name? His name he's is Ward Cunningham, and he is an absolute dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, if uh, no, he is. He's, I heard he's of him. He's um, well. Here you go. If you want proof of props um, he was one of the 17 original signatories on the agile manifesto oh fair play that's, yeah that's props um and he came up with um the metaphor of technical debt whilst he was basically needing to discuss problems that they were facing uh, on a project that he was running in small talk which tells mm. you even more props right uh yeah the guy's a badass um in tech terms um there is actually um a really nice fairly short video of him explaining how we kind of originated the concept, um, and we'll we'll pop that in the show notes if anybody wants to have a, a watch. It's, it's like five minutes, and it's totally worth it because he is very concise in his motivations and, and justification for, for coining what has now become pretty much a, a universal term in among software developers and, and software project managers and analysts.
1: Wouldn't, um, so coming back to technical debt, well, what is technical debt? Aren't we all causing technical debt by by the nature of, of software? Like, for example, going back to a, a shopping cart analogy, which might permeate the rest of this podcast. But, for example, I've built my shopping cart, my products display. I did that in one way uh, using whatever framework at the time. Five years later, you know, um, I'm still, you know, that's been working. So, but I have a debt on that because now programming has moved on, you know. Now we all use Node and, and you know,
0: Express and stuff like that. I certainly... That, do you see what I mean? I do. Um, and to be honest, I would disagree slightly um, in that, as, as, as I approach it, technical debt is, is not something that you apply to the longer-term lifetime of a project in terms of um, upgrading software stack and what have you, you could make that claim, absolutely, as, as we kind of did with the NHS example. Um, I think it's more useful for developers to view it as a, a more immediate thing.
1: Right. Um,
0: because the opposite of technical debt or incurring technical debt is realistically defined as premature optimization. Um, we have to get this stuff out. And if we were to spend all of the time that we needed making sure that it was completely future-proof, we would never ship a thing.
1: Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Because you we get, and and this is a, a lot of the problem, the opposite problem, which is that I try to keep on saying, do the minimum viable product because each time you do a little bit and someone uses it, they can go, right, okay, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. It's it's, it's why we went agile rather than the waterfall model. You're always shipping. Uh, something out, but the downside of always having to ship something is that you might be, you know, skewing making tests for that, for that bit. But if you have tests,
0: yeah, we'll probably or, get into less. Or debt. even, I mean, we've all been there. Where, for example, we've been asked to say it, it, it's probably a fairly common thing. We've been asked to do some uh, accountancy checking or reporting. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that we could probably spend a bit of time writing some database queries or restructuring our data to make this easier to do Instead what we do is we bang a bunch of queries in a loop um, And we produce a report that at the time that we write it runs in about five seconds mm-hmm. um, That's fine The problem is that if we then don't go back and revisit um, Because fair enough when we we pushed in that hack um, to get the the feature shipped so that the, the customer could see it um, the system, say, had, you know, 100,000 records. Uh, six months down the line, you've got 700,000, and now that 10 seconds that it took to run is 70 seconds, and you're starting to run into timeouts and memory issues. So I suppose the the key factor there is we all incur technical debt as soon as we start writing software, because we're always making decisions as to, do I do this in a way that's going to future-proof, or do I do this in a way that's going to get the feature shipped?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the bigger wanna, difference, just to finish off, is how we manage addressing that debt.
1: Right, as I, I a feature that is exactly that, and this is out in the out in the wild, is something that someone had, came up with a good idea at the time. Was that it logs everyone's actions in the in a site? So there's a database table with every click they go through the site with. Uh, and every login and every failed login, so you can, you know, so if you're trying to log in too many times from an IP address, it stops you. This is great, mm-hmm. right? And you can see that feature. And the logins to the site, you know, recently one of the tickets that came up was, uh, you know, they're a bit slow. It's like, okay, <laughs> why is that? Because this table has got eight, 10 years worth of login data, and I'm like. Oh, my God, and there's no indexes or anything. Obviously, there's just like a primary index. And so you're going, so you're trying to see if someone is trying to log in on this date range uh, on a table that has got several million records, if not more. I, I, I didn't count how many records
0: there were, but it was like a huge table. There's gigabytes of data every time someone tried to log in. <laughs> and you think, taking that example, at the time that that feature was spec'd. The developer probably looked at it and, and, and probably actually thought, hmm, what's going to happen when this gets full? Or maybe there's a better way to store this information. But actually, it was probably a bit of a, a throwaway or potentially an urgent requirement. Um, and I said, you know because- what, well, I've got a database. I'm just going to scaffold that table. We're just going to stick it in there. I'll deal with it later. Yeah. And, then and of course, on. then he le- went off to sunny
1: climbs to another project, and it's, it lands on my lap. Yeah. But that's a good example of technical debt, is doing just a feature without thinking of the consequences. Now, the problem with with that, I think, is that you have to have a really good balance. Because if you go,
0: otherwise you're starting developing so defensively that you never get anything done. Well, this is what I was getting at, is the opposite being like mega optimization or forethought, and you just find yourself stalled. um, Because every decision has a million potential repercussions um you're never going to get anything done and there is a balance and i suppose the key thing and some of the big guys in software development software architecture so the likes of um fowler and um uncle bob um have kind of exposed their opinions on this Um, my view is that technical debt shouldn't be accidental in a good software team it's inevitable but you should mm. always be aware that you're about to incur it. It's like you, you would never knowingly incur f- accidental financial debt. Um, you know right. you will potentially take out a loan, um, mm. but you will know and have thought through what the terms are, what the repercussions are, and what have you. Software technical debt should be the same. And should be shared. I mean, it, not shared, but um, either with a team
1: or by just putting it into your JIRA or... or- GitHub issues or whatever have have a ticket there that's in the backlog, saying, you know, the the logging. I'm logging people coming in. We we need to handle, like, the de- deletion of this data, or you know, movement of this data, or indexing of this table. If we want to have ten years worth of data, are we actually going to be using that that data, for example? But have that ticket created. So as you say, you've got into debt, but you've done done it knowingly and you know, you you have a reminder that to fix it, that should come up in a yeah. soonish sprint rather I than a... I
0: think we're probably going to get deeper into this in, in a moment when we start talking about the various ways to get yourself out of debt. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's exactly the same as, you know, making sure that you've got those loan repayments on your on your calendar and, and making sure that you've got money to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I suppose the other question is with, with technical debt, what happens if you don't manage it? <laughs> I have seen some code, mate. I have seen some code. <laughs> you weren't there, man. You don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, I think pretty much every developer has either firsthand um, or by by legend um, mm. encountered some of these. Um, it's usually those massive queries that I, I see that are, you
1: know, like 400 line long queries. And I don't mean that they formatted it nicely or something like that. It's just literally that you look at it and go, there is no way without being, by spending like a day getting into the context of this query, that I can fix it. There's a, there should be a better way to refactor this, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I've seen uh, fairly regularly is um, the indication not so much in terms of the actual product itself, but in the productivity of the team. Oh. Yeah. Because you'll often get into this situation where tech debt begets more tech debt and you can actually have a perfectly functional software team that's just hamstrung. They're, they're not actually shipping anything new because all they're doing all the time is paying down previous decisions and, and, and fixing issues that arise from that. Um, And that's a very a very real indicator that actually you've got a tech debt problem in your in your software team, is when realistically you're spending more time troubleshooting bugs from your own software than you are actually adding new features. Right. I mean,
1: one of the uh, uh, an example issue uh, is that, for example, you you create a new widget that's going to appear like a filtering widget across your site, Mm -hmm. across different parts of your application, or whatever and let's say you use the latest version of jquery because you've seen jquery right right round the system i mean i know you know people are shouting at me going you know use this other framework people still use jquery deal with it um, and you build that but then there's different version of jquery running on the same site right yeah and and it and it breaks in other parts. So now you've you've tried to build with all the goodness intense in the best manner possible a new f- feature that now should have taken you, let's say, I don't know, a day, two days, however long it took you. But now you've got another two or three days of having to go around the rest of the site fixing other things. It's snowballed out of control that you're now fixing other things for this one feature.
0: I mean, I'd say, to be honest, that isn't actually technical debt yet. Um, technical <laughs> oh, debt the- is the decision where you look at that and you go, well, this feature really, really needs to be shipped today. So I can Mm -hmm. either pull an all-nighter and go through every element of the site and swap out those jQuery references, update and test, or I can just namespace my jQuery instance. Right. That, then, is technical debt. You decide that you're going to isolate it, and all of a sudden you're running two versions of the same front-end library. And you will have every intention of coming back to it later. And you probably gotcha. won't.
1: And <laughs> no, you probably won't, right? Because there's going to be another feature that needs to be shipped, and who wants yeah. to be doing maintenance when you can be doing features, right?
0: Absolutely. But inevitably, if you're never doing maintenance and never dealing with these these little gremlins, these little turds lurking in your code base, um, you're going to reach the turds, point, right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to reach the point where all of a sudden that's all you're doing. Um, you're you're on permanent poop scoop duty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As an owner of dogs, I can really not recommend being on permanent
0: poop scoop duty. I mean, it's interesting because a couple of the examples that you know, we've talked about um, point to, again, one of the bigger issues, which is what isn't technical debt? Right. Um, and generally speaking, I, I'm fairly firmly in alignment with some of the best minds in the world because they're the best minds in the world. And what do I know? <laughs> It doesn't actually just mean bad code. Oh, really? Well,
1: no, of course. No, because you can have bad code anyway.
0: Yeah. And that's not Um, debt, it's just bad code. I mean, don't get me wrong. The decision to potentially write bad code or write code in a bad way is technical debt. Just having crappy code or poorly architected systems in and of itself is not. But can often be treated and indeed uh, solved in in the same way that, as I said, we'll come on to... Um, imminently, um, there is actually um, a really interesting um, diagram, if you like, for understanding this stuff. Um, and this, again, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, it was from Martin Fowler, uh, where he talks about the technical debt quadrant. Okay. Um, and this we... is basically a, a four, a four pane, you know, two by two grid, um, where with the the sectors marked up: reckless, prudent, deliberate, inadvertent. So in other words, you know, the, the, the different areas that we can kind of put this stuff. Um, mm. And that covers off a multitude um, of the various different issues that software can run into. So if you um, do an example, you could have
1: a reckless and deliberate quadrant, mm-hmm. right? So you know that uh, uh, we know that this doesn't handle high load, but we're going to put it in anyway, yeah. knowing that there might be
0: high load. Yeah, or Uh, saying as the head of the software team, we don't have time to write unit tests. Right. That is reckless software development, bad software development, Um, and it's also very intentional. Right. Um, Reckless and inadvertent, for example, is pretty much just ignorance, not necessarily being aware of a given pattern or a given approach to something. We'll Uh, loop through
1: every, every item in a query, and then we can do another query to go and get their surname.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, because, or, or potentially you know, we're just going to run a, a thousand insert statements because they don't understand that you can do multi-batch insert Right um, Prudent Not and any... deliberate is probably where we really want to be um, for tech debt mm. and this is basically we have to get this thing out the door but we know that there are consequences of doing so and we fully intend to deal with them Right and then you've got the last so, one, which is basically um, a little bit more back thinking, and this is inadvertent and prudent. So it's like, well, we kind of screwed that up, but let's have a look at why we screwed it up so that we can improve in the future. Um, and this is, as I say, it's 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 not mine. Um, it's Martin Fowler's, but it's a really good way of categorizing the different kinds of decision that lead to debt in a project. Right. But, but now that you've said it, everyone thinks that we'll attribute it to you. You can be the clever guy and... <laughs> and uh, Give all put, the praise. We will put a link to the article in show notes, just so you know. I'm not doing that. Um,
1: and and of course, technical debt changes over time in a, in a kind of weird but weird way. No, it doesn't change over time. What I mean is, so the the understanding of a problem back then is not as good as it's going to be now, right? No. If, once you've immersed yourself, so um, uh, doing the shopping cart thing, knowing that you have products. Um, Then at that time, you had a product and you have a quantity. And then someone says, well, we have to have different color variations of this product. And you go like, okay, well, so, all right, that's fine. You know, you have red, blue, and green for this thing. And then you go, yeah, but actually you have to have sizes as well. So now you're getting into this three-dimensional matrix of a product. That is
0: is how you understand it, right? Yeah, and then some genius decides that actually we're going to make some of those variations price-affecting. So an right. XL costs ten percent more than a, a, a standard. Um, right, exactly. Yeah, and, and the thing and is, and of
1: course now now you've got like a different understanding of the, of the problem domain. So going back and looking at your code and going, oh, what an idiot! He didn't know, you know, past me didn't know. Current situation is 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 not there, is 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 how we deal with life, right? <laughs> because yeah,
0: well, it's. I mean, how often has it been said that hindsight is twenty twenty? Right. Um, and that applies to software design as much as anything else in this crazy world. Um, I have that every day. I, I, I um, this is more of a personal issue, I guess. Uh,
1: I'm not going to air my dirty laundry, but it's, wh- when I fix a bug, I always feel like stupid after it. But it's this hindsight issue that then having to describe someone saying like, okay, so this was a problem and I fixed it. I always feel like I'm the stupid guy in the room because. Past me should have known that, Mm -hmm. but there's no way that past me should have known that because now future me has another learning in between, right? So that's a that's it's not tech debt, but it's just a thing that that I need to express better, I think, because I always go, I was so stupid back then.
0: Well, this comes back to the whole kind of being um, being sensible about looking back, about giving time for, for retrospection, um, and about saying, Well, yeah, okay. I did that that time. That was a bit stupid. Um, if I were to do that now, I would do it better. Um, and this is why we have retrospectives at the end of
1: a sprint. Like, oh well, that sprint went well. What did I, you know, have just a moment to be able to
0: to say those things, right? To say them, to record them, to disseminate them, um, mm. and you know, not to get into a full kind of uh, full session on agile, which may come up. Yeah. Um, at some point, but yeah, the, the ability to and the requirement to build in time to look back and say, well, what did we screw up? What did we learn from screwing up? And this, again, is the whole black box thinking thing that I think I've referenced a couple of times. You know, learning from failure, learning from the fact that you need to fix a problem. Um, will, in theory, prevent you from making that same mistake again later on. Um, And also it means that you're actually better positioned when in that same situation next time to make an educated, informed decision about do I do this correctly, which I know is going to take forever, or do I hack it in, and all of a sudden we're back to incurring uh, purposeful technical debt.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: So now that we've got this debt,
1: hanging over our heads. Do we pay it back? Can we pay it back? Is it possible to actually pay back the debt? And who do you pay it to? Is it a bank manager?
0: (laughs) The bank manager depends on the project you're working on. Um, There is, I suppose, I could be slightly glib and say the bank manager is your own sanity. Um, You definitely have to pay it back, right? Yeah.
1: Um, But you have to pay it back. And I think sometimes companies non-technical people kind of don't understand this until it all goes wrong, until the machine breaks. And I've seen some situations where the machine broke, it was like we cannot release stuff anymore. Yeah. Like, we want to add these features, and it's like, well, okay, that's fine, but it's not happening. And you go, well, I've got a stupid team. It's like, no, literally anything we touch breaks the whole thing.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's, as I was saying earlier, that's your team has ground to a halt because they cannot do anything new. Um, I mean, that's the worst case. That's... That's effectively, that's technical debt bankruptcy, where you need to make some hard decisions. And normally, those decisions are, well, in theory, we are either going to completely halt feature development and fix it, Um, we're going to rewrite most of it, or we're just going to carry on blindly without acknowledging the fact that we're absolutely up to our neck in it, um, and that product or company is just going to fail. It's inevitable. Your, your staff will leave Your customers well, well, will well, leave Yeah,
1: your staff will leave uh, Then you'll start blaming their technology uh, And I've heard this so many times Oh, it's cold fusion. It's like, no, it's, you know, it's PHP It's like, we're now going to write everything in .NET Or we're going to write it everything in, in Node And, and the future's going to be brighter and, and sweeter and better And it's, you know You just give it time for
0: more debt to accrue If you have those practices in place Yeah, I think if you haven't taken the chance to learn the lessons of the past, you're just doomed to repeat them. And it doesn't matter which technology stack you're using, um, 10 will get you 20, that the reason you have such problems in your application is nothing to do with the technology stack and everything to do with your approach to building software. Right. So going back to it, so how do we pay it back? My, uh, I,
1: I, mean, I've, If you have a deliberate one, you already have a bunch of tickets saying, we have to fix this,
0: right? Yeah. So, well, let's let's take these, the, the fairly common scenario where actually um, a, a team hasn't been potentially diligent about purposeful debt. So they don't have those tickets. The first thing you have to do is be absolutely upfront, honest with yourself and review your application. You mm-hmm. have to really dig through it, analyze it. Um, you have to throw a whole bunch of tools at it that you can run fairly quickly, and initially those results will probably be very depressing. Test coverage, 0%. Um, you know, static analysis, basically, the static analyzer went off into the corner and started crying um, because you've got so much copy pasture in there, it's insane. I did I, did. I run a, uh, a CF Lint on a project recently, mm-hmm. and uh, it literally went into the corner, started crying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's always a good sign that you probably need to think about this when you're crashing a linter. <laughs> um, yeah. But it gives you a handle on the scope of the rot within your project. Right. You know how and much that, is bad.
1: And that's an objective measurement, right? Because that's something saying, like, this is
0: mm-hmm.
1: bad, and this, this, is, this percentage is how bad it is. You, but I think you also have to, in analysis, you have to be careful of the subjective analysis. Because future you coming in and saying, this is crap because we don't do things like that nowadays, or I don't do things like that nowadays. Uh, if it's working and it's working fine, just because it's done in a different style it doesn't mean it's wrong. I'll, I'll give you an example, yeah. Rob. I mean, we were both at a CoreFusion conference recently, or uh, there's a big um, thing of tags versus script in the CoreFusion community, which no one understands. But it, if you see a query in, in script, the query is going to run just as fast as it's going to run in tag. It's just as clear. It's just because I prefer like scripting language rather than a tagging language. That's a subjective measurement. There is no objective measurement that you can say one's better than the other. No. And um, I'm sure people are going to be screaming at me and telling me that there is an, uh, an objective one, but that's a very subjective
0: measurement, right? But if yeah. you have a code standard that everything should be in script, and, and it's that's, not enforced, that you can then say is you know, potentially a, it's indicative of a, a lack of investment in quality. And a lot of this stuff is down to you know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, uh, and the second <laughs> step is committing to fix that problem. Because right. there are no tools that will do this for you. We do the analysis, we do it as objectively as possible, um, and we come up with a, an indication of just how bad things are. Um, and then we need to start working in the plan to pay it down. Right, um, so how would you do just, that? Well, there are a oh, couple okay. of different, I suppose, points. The first thing I would say is if you're running something like um, something sprint-based, like Scrum or what have you, you probably need to be setting aside a chunk of time each sprint to do nothing but pay down tech debt. Right. Um, the other thing you can say is actually you can enforce a couple of, of points, which is whilst the analysis tools will give you a bunch of stuff, if a team member goes into a file or go you know, opens some source code that doesn't adhere to the standard, they have to make it adhere. Right. It'll slow everything down a bit, right? Potentially quite a lot, depending on how bad your code is. Mm-hmm. But you're getting gradual, iterative improvement. Every time somebody works on a file, that file should, by the time they leave it, have been dusted, polished, and shiny.
1: Yep. and by the time so if you have a linting process or a a testing process or a coverage <coughs> uh, a test coverage measurement it should now be out of that measurement right it should be like now that's done that's not a red point yep. in our graph that's a that's a you know all lights are green on that
0: yeah absolutely i mean the other thing that you can do is you can say well actually if you go into a bit of the system that's not under test bring it under test right. um and again your developers will probably roll their eyes and moan, or not, depending, because, you know, devs are smart and they understand why this stuff is important. Um, But what you are committing to is gradual improvement. And over time, you will start to see that actually various bits of the system become less um, septic pools of horrible nastiness and slightly more useful and usable. Right. I I think testing helps with that, the
1: ability to, to add the testing, because people are scared to modify bits of the system because mm-hmm. it, it might break, right? So once you say, like, look, it's fine, you have a test. Do test for this to for this thing. And there's various ways that, that you can test, like unit tests. You can also do kind of like black-box testing. Let's say you have a PHP file that does something. What you can do is just include it in another PHP file scaffold whatever it does, and as long as the output out, out of it is the same as it was before, you know, you're good, you know, however yeah, so you measure that. I'm saying this is like the simplest testing. And just- ready
0: integration testing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that um, I would say is you need to basically build this in, um, and it's not test-driven development, it's test-driven refactoring, um, right. that actually when you go into a piece of code, because some of these uh, areas of your system may be so far gone or so old or so poorly written in the first place um, that actually you cannot bring it under test. You have to make a decision to say well we're looking to rewrite the entire billing module for example Mm. because the entire thing is a car crash Um, at which point the team then has to make the decision and the team lead has to make the decision do we allow that debt to continue or do we take the hit and get it Rewritten, restructured in such a way, or is there a middle ground? Because there's nearly always a middle ground.
1: Yeah, and the, as well, one of these things you can talk to the product manager. Yeah. that you can start saying, okay, so look, we need to rebuild the the billing system, as an example. Are there any features that are hanging around on the on the product roadmap that we need to put in there? Mm-hmm. Like, are there? Uh, you know go and talk to the you know that's it one one type of system but if you work for a big corporate you know like people are using the billing system go and talk to the users of it and say like are there things that that it could do better and if you talk to the users of it you get 10 new features which gives you the the funding to re-
0: rewrite that it does it kind of allows you to have the the buy-in that's it it gives you a bit of capital um, God, we're really extending this metaphor, aren't we? Um, it gives you the <laughs> capital that you can then use to pay down debt because actually you're still delivering features, albeit slightly slower. Um, the business doesn't. Then uh, you don't find the situation where you get hauled into the the managing director's office and said, "What are you software guys doing? You know, we haven't seen any new features out of you in six months." Right. And it's like, well, no, but our test coverage is now at like sixty percent, and we're getting to the point where we feel confident in our ability to actually start writing new software again. Um, the other, a lot of this is cultural. Um, I mean, yeah. there's a, a, a classic experiment um, that's uh, referred to as the broken windows theory. You familiar oh, yeah. with this one?
1: Yeah, this was. Uh this is something part of New York, for some reason, I'm, I'm thinking of, like the 1970s New York, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or was so it Chicago? I, they, they,
0: I think it was New York. But it, it's basically any, any large urban space. They they worked out, fairly logically, as it turns out, uh, that if a building has one broken window, it's more likely to incur more damage and more um, malicious destruction. Yeah, all the um, way to
1: arson, right? So yeah.
0: If Whereas, you fix that little broken window... it's much less likely to be, you know, burned down, destroyed, and demolished, s- And squatted in, right. In. Um, and culturally, from a software perspective, we need to make sure that we're taking the same approach because it basically gets to the point where, fair enough, your building might be old and, and the back staircase might be a bit crumbly and, and, you know, the windows don't open, but you do not tolerate broken windows anymore when you start this process. Mm. You make sure that if you see something that's wrong, you fix it. And if you can't fix it, you log it um, as, as part of the, the, the backlog to be fixed and ideally somebody fairly senior and the rest of the team should be ensuring that those issues are not just allowed to ride
1: yeah and they should go in as like high, high you know like emergency issues so that you always see them as part of your sprint
0: yeah um, and to be honest your, your bug fix or your tech debt pile should be an explicit thing yeah, you know, there's no point in skirting around it. Um, it should be something that everybody yeah. is open about and acknowledges that actually this work is not going to do anything new. It's not going to bring uh, any more business in. It's just about sustaining our ability to do business.
1: It's, it's a good analogy is that it's going out running every day, right? It doesn't feel good. It's wet. It's cold. It's, 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 it's horrible. But it's just keeping your body so that you can then do all the other work you do every day. Otherwise, you just become this big, fat blob that's eating Watsits in the corner. Yeah. Like you and me. But that's not the
0: problem. I guess I'm pretty much... I I dabbled briefly, but I'm back to the state where I couldn't really run a bath. Um, But no, it's (laughs) a good analogy. But I mean, like, whatever whatever
1: thing you're doing, like brushing your teeth, like, that self-care... It's essentially it's the self care of your system that you should be doing the the, the grooming the shaving it every day the, mm-hmm. the, the whatever shave Even your software
0: know, t- with Mark and Rob <laughs> yeah
1: shave your software with Mark and Rob I have a massive mustache it's like this is you know it's, it has um, to be groomed
0: yeah depth. no it does and 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 getting that cultural shift within the organisation as a whole is also really important so that actually the 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 people in in accounting who are used to getting cause, This is another classic scenario in a long-lived project. The company will have been used to getting stuff quite a lot faster. That's how you ended up in this mess in the first place, right? Right, Um, right. And you need to get them to understand that actually, this is all going to slow down. But it's not because we're lazy. It's not because we're freewheeling um, or what have you. It's because, actually, we need to all of that stuff that you got much quicker earlier on, well, unfortunately, the time's now come to pay the piper um mm. we've got to sort all of that out and it will mean that actually stuff slows down for now and it will eventually speed up again probably not mm. to the same level um mm. but it also means that you're going to have less issues of reports crashing and you know critical tickets flying around um you know developers constantly on the phone to other members of the team as oh this doesn't work and mm. all of that is the positive that you're trying to get to yeah less tickets of it's broken the other thing that I
1: give uh, some of people I work with and and team members is always follow the Boy Scout rule. Whenever you're in one area, try and f- leave it better than you found it. So if you're fixing a bug and it, you know, and you see some stuff that's bad, fix it. Just fix it. I mean, it's part of the ticket. It'll probably, in 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 in, op- in realistic terms, it's not probably going to take you that much longer than actually fixing the the bug. No. Nope. You know, um, you know, we're talking about like, hey, you've got a day to fix this thing. You're fixing it. All right, well, I can fix a function above <clears throat> above and below it to look good, right? To, to to meet our code standards and whatever. And there you go, you've done that. Maybe add had a ticket saying like, oh, I also found there's three other functions that we should also um, rewrite. But, you know, I've run out of time. Um, the other thing that I said to, this is a while back was like, okay, you know, in your estimates, when you say, I'm going to fix this ticket, part of you doing that estimate is, is having a look into it, right? You don't just go guess, you go and have a look. And if you notice that there's some, some, you know, things that need to be fixed, increase your estimate a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, how long is this going to take? You know, it's going to take an hour, but then you go like, well, I think it's going to take two hours, right? Because essentially, the rest of the business then goes, okay, great, it's going to be done in two hours. And you've now been able to add it add it as that as something that's fixing the system grooming it and the people a lot of people feel guilty about this because they're like oh well you know i am cheating it's like no you are <laughs> literally fixing making the system better the client system better or the owner's system better you know whoever owns that that system it is something that has to be done is 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 a mental health of that system that
0: you are improving yeah and it's It's also a breakaway from the potentially quite destructive opposite of that, which is everything has to be done as quickly as possible. Um, So it's like, how long will this bug bug fix take? It'll take me about an hour. You've got 30 minutes. Okay, great. That kind of pressure and and pace feels very managerial. um, And it feels like we're really shifting. The reality is you're not. You're going backwards. Um, Because that that, bug fix will probably be done in such a way way that It'll actually add to technical there, not detract from it. Then you go into the the, the Star Trek Scotty territory, right? So
1: anyone's like, "How oh, long want to fix?" Five days. You have two. Great. It's only going to take me one, but you know, <laughs> you know, you've just got to like overestimate if in an env- in an environment like that that they don't care.
0: I think there is a, a thesis here in terms of um, you know quality of continuous engineering delivery as. Um, experienced in the world of Star Trek by <laughs> by Scotty by Scotty um, but yeah uh, so always 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 be prepared to communicate um, why you're doing this stuff as well you right. know you don't have to hide it away if you don't have buy-in then that's a much much bigger problem
1: right and, and we have given you some tools here to like if you don't have buying of, of whoever's paying for the project there are ways to kind of sneak it in because at the end of the day it might be you that is biting in the ass at the end of the day right you the developer the maintainer of the system yep. so you know that this is a requirement if you don't have buying on that because you can't express it effectively because you can't uh show them how bad it is you know, because they might not be coders or or they might not be architects or developers or something like that. There are ways that you can sneak it in. Um, and, you know, it just leads me to an analogy, which is, that uh, you know, that, that quick fix that you did to get into technical debt ends up being the thing that's been there for like years and years and years. I used to have a a, a script that I wrote whilst listening to a band called The Herbalizer. I do not know what to name the script. It became known as The Herbalizer and it was used to uh, to migrate w- websites, right? So if you needed to create a development website or migrate it, but it was also great for migrating content. And then all of a sudden, three years later, I had clients talking about running the Herbalizer. It became a thing that we all used. The Herbalizer was the thing we used to, to migrate content. So. You know, be careful out there. You know, some of these little quick fixes <laughs> end up being
0: like permanent features, and and clients talk about the herbalizer, which is, by the way, amazing. I'm not sure—is it a band or a guy? I think it's like one guy, um, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, he did that. Um, song yeah, he's, he's cool on YouTube. Looking.
0: Go and check out some of his some of his earlier work. I think later yeah. on he became a little bit too commercial for my liking. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> you hipster <laughs> Hey, I like the Herbalizer before it was cool and before it was an inadvertent software project. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely something that we see time and time again. They, the, This little kernel, this little nugget that was written on, like, day three of the project, and you're now in year 17 of the project, and that nugget is still there.
1: And it's probably, like, a crucial part of the system that you you bashed out as a... As a little thing to get, you know, get done. Well,
0: yeah, because inevitably, and I don't, again, don't want to stray too far into kind of software architecture at this point, although it's all very much interrelated. But when we start writing software, we tend to layer functionality uh, and start connecting functionality to existing code. Um, So the reality is that the stuff you write first, when you're probably least well-educated about the project, and in most of a hurry... Um, is going to be foundational. It's going yeah. to be the code that is still running because it's it's the core of it. It's the user authentication system or mm. it's the database design choice that you made or you know, the way that you uh, interface with a rendering library. All of those things you pretty much pick at day one. Right. Um, and again, it's really easy to see how you could very quickly get yourself into all sorts of trouble by not reviewing those decisions later on, by not having uh, a regular point in your, your development life cycle where you can say, we're going to re-examine these. They might be fine, but we're just going to quickly check them and make sure that they're still good and happy and healthy. Yeah.
1: Uh, the sane, I think, is the word. Sane,
0: yes. <laughs> um, the other thing, I suppose, is when we're talking about you know paying it back, there's also let's face it the reality that i think we've made very clear at this point it's unavoidable you will always get technical debt it's not something that you can just say oh well we have fixed all the technical debt now we're good um,
1: the only way that you could probably and and uh, this is like in in the land of theory where everything works right is that if you have a corporate that has a well-funded corporate that has got slower release cycles, that you take you know Uh, you make a test and you have very strict code guidelines that you have to pass that have been put in there but the problem with that is that that's going to be a less dynamic environment I think, Um, that's more like a software factory I think it would get to
0: Yeah and even then you're probably still going to incur problems because with the best will in the world you can say well we have this coding standards Um, and and, uh, great, fantastic. We have this requirement for unit functional and integration testing. Amazing. We have this QA cycle, which is four times as long as the development cycle itself. Should guarantee that nothing slips through. What that doesn't address is all of the other decision points in an application. Architecture, technology choices, external service integration. These are all also points where you incur debt. And you can be the most controlled and sluggish software team in the world, and you can still write really bad software. Right. Um, I mean, the classic case is I, I always joke that there's the only people who write good software, um, as in, sorry, the only people who write bug-free software are the likes of NASA. And they've got hundreds and hundreds of, of developers, you know, tens of thousands of developer hours for each project. And you know yeah. what? Even they screw it up. Yeah. We're not going to say the
1: imperial versus metric thing, are we?
0: No, no. <laughs> but, I mean, that's it. If NASA cannot write yeah. flawless software, uh, and also we like we definitely you know, shouldn't of, even be
1: trying to. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that has to be said for NASA, for example, that, you know, we, we make fun of, like, oh, my iPhone has got more capability than some of the NASA computers. It's like, yeah, but your iPhone crashes randomly, right? You know, they have, like... Slower, lower-powered computers on the systems that they know the architecture, you know, intimately, and yep. the programs Inside that run on backwards. there
0: have to do very specific, targeted things that they've tested the crap out of them. Yep. You know, and I say, even then, there have been a couple of examples where you know it, the software's gone wrong, and either satellites have dropped offline or stuff's exploded. Um, <laughs> mercifully, I think without loss of human life in terms of software but i could be wrong right um, so i suppose what i'm getting at is that technical debt isn't just a problem that we can solve it's something that we're going to have to deal with continuously so it needs to form right. part of our ongoing approach to software something um,
1: like security right you're always thinking about yep. security you're always thinking about well, like what ha- well you should be i mean like what well, you should be thinking about what would happen you know you are even on a uh, on a low level of like well this page is only available to people that are logged in right so even if you're thinking on that level of security you're, you should be thinking about like okay well we have to revisit our code we have to revisit like uh things that we decided not to put in place the security that we like put in by obfuscation rather than actual security you know
0: yeah and security is actually one of those bits that fairly frequently produces technical debt because it's really hard to get right. And it's very easy to just say, actually, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just stick the passwords in the database. It's fine. We'll hash them later. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, being a web developer,
1: the amount of code that I've seen that is shocking. And then you start realizing, multiply that by all the websites on the internet, and you go like, yep. oh, holy crap. Is this how, how the world works? It's on a stick on a prayer.
0: Uh, This is how the world of the web works, yeah. It's basically um, luck and bloody-mindedness keeps everything running. (laughs) Um, But I suppose the the reason that I'm kind of constantly circling back to this idea of management is because it is possible to inform how you approach technical debt. Um, Mm. And part of that is um, basically working out what the actual cost is, try and quantify it. So be aware that you've got a decision before you to say, OK, well, let's take that example. It's a bad one because it will make people cringe. But do I stick the password straight into the database in clear text? Or do I actually go down the road of loading a decent cryptographic library, researching which hashing technology I should use, um, extending my database to allow per user salting, um, and do it properly? And the reality is, you then need to do kind of a risk and cost assessment on both both paths. You know, you're at a fork in the road. Going this way will don't think about how much time it will save you. You know, you need no, to think about uh, what will it cost me to do it right, and is well, it's, it's, that worth it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of your repayments, right? So if you if you know yep. that you have this debt, you have to do the repayments. I'm gonna I'm gonna run with this analogy, and you know. You have X amount of credit card repayments a month. You know that that £100 or whatever is going out to your credit card. Do it as part of your sprint. You go, like, well, we've got, I don't know, I don't, however many sprint points you have in your sprint. Let's say we have 40 points. You say, like, that four of those, 10%, will be dedicated to these tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you're tra- trapping the tickets. but And just
0: say, like, you know, we have a percentage that we're trying to reduce our debt. Yeah, and I think more than that, as I say, when you get into a decision point, you need to be aware, how much are we adding to that general balance? How much debt are we actually incurring? Because Mm. otherwise, you find yourself in a position where you're like, well, hang on a minute, we've been giving 10 story points per sprint for the last six months. Why is our system getting worse? Well, Mm. because you're incurring 30 story points worth of debt every sprint.
1: Uh, how would you measure all of that? Would, would this be that at the point that you make a ticket and say, like, or oh, not make a ticket, you go, we're going to develop this this feature. Um, we can either do it via A, the the good way, or via B, the the immediate way, and there's a difference between those two?
0: I think it forms, yeah, it forms part of your, you know, you've got the, the, the feature, the ticket, you've, you've done your requirements, gathering and what have you, and then you will start work, at which point you will start to realize and evolve those requirements and, and your implementation. And that's when you'll realize, ah, oh, damn it, um, you know, this is actually harder than I thought. And that's when you need to have the honest conversation with yourself and say, well, I can do it this way or this way. Um, that's when you can record the cost of what you're about to incur. And hmm. frankly, if you do it right, you don't need to worry about it. You know, it's only if you take the the, the the path more frequently traveled and decide, well, actually, we need to get this out, at which point you need to have some form of log at that stage. Not would only it be a of good what we need to to fix uh, it, for, yeah. but of would what it be that cost idea, is.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, would it be a good idea to, at the retrospective point, say, how much debt do you think we incurred in this sprint?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because if you can't get a, a, a reasonable indication from your team, you're, you're flying blind. You've got no idea what, what your quality balance is. Um, is it going up? Is it going down? Who knows?
1: <laughs> it's like what? my bank
0: account. Is there money coming in? Is there money
1: going up? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's
0: more, more impenetrable than the, the, you know, the, the, the finances of, of the British Treasury. Nobody has a clue how much <laughs> money they've got. Um, they can try and work it out maybe but it'll take a bunch of very clever people a very long time, they just kind of keep going it's fine, the lights are still on we're good um, and I don't think that most software teams have the luxury of operating in that way um, so yeah, by all means build it into the retrospective um, the, 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 the 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 scrum manager the um, and the product owner need to be aware of this cost and they need to be paying it down
1: and that, I think that's a great point to stop. Pay your debts, kids. Don't get into debt. Or get into debt knowingly.
0: Get into debt responsibly.
1: Responsibly. <laughs> so, Rob, where can they get hold of us to find out more about debt uh, for the do their technical financial management and uh, maybe send us some
0: checks? Uh, well, if you wish to send us money, please address them to Rob, not Mark. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> um, no, you can get hold of us um, in the uh, the technical doll queue uh, that is Twitter um, at localhost.fm. <laughs> um, of course, we're also on the the web um, with a website that probably needs some patching and some work doing to pay down the. T- no, I'm joking. Uh, that's no, no. Uh, localhost.fm. Um, we are on YouTube if you search localhost.fm and feel free to comment likey. Uh, we are on iTunes. Uh, and pretty yeah. much everywhere else that does podcasts. Um, yep. And if you really enjoyed this, found it useful, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us appear slightly more frequently in their their search results. Um, and yeah, you can also email us, right? Yep, it's show at localhost.fm. And carrier pigeons or welcome yep. um, ultra low frequency radio waves. We'll just pick those up gradually.
1: Uh, it's, except Thursdays <laughs> where I wear my tin foil hat. On that note, thank you very much.
0: Bye-bye, Rob.
1: Bye-bye.